So uh, my name is Sarah. I am the worship coordinator here, but due to a scheduling error that I made, we have me also doing the teaching today. So I was joking with uh, these guys, maybe I should put a, a, like in Hamilton, you know, in the first act, he's got a ponytail and then the second act. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you. My sister will laugh at my dumb jokes. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, we should probably pray. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for gathering us together for um, speaking through even my feeble self. I just pray that um, whatever it is that you want us to hear today, that is what we will hear, that um, you speak and we listen. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So we are in a series within a series right now. As you likely know, we have been going through the whole book of Matthew for the year, and right now, we are finishing up a series we're calling The Kingdom of Heaven is Like, dot, dot, dot. We've been talking about um, the kingdom of God is what Jesus talked about the most. His main point, his main idea, the main thing in, that we have recorded in scripture that he came to teach, to demonstrate, to reveal, and then to invite everyone else to follow. So what we've kind of learned so far in the series is that he told a lot of parables or stories about what the kingdom is like. He taught sermons about what it looked like to live according to that kingdom. And in his teachings, we find that the kingdom is here now and later. So it's sort of this now and later thing we wrestle with. We learned that the kingdom of heaven is very generous. If you remember um, a couple weeks ago, Wally talked about the parable of the sower and the farmer in that story was very generously um, planting seeds. Some of them were taking root and bearing fruit and growing. And while they did not all grow and reach maturity, that didn't stop the farmer from his generous sowing. And then I had to pull a quote that Wally already said a couple weeks ago, but it was too good of what um, a kind of definition of the kingdom of heaven. So we know even what we're discussing. So philosopher and scholar Dallas Willard defines the kingdom like this. So it bears repeating after Wally said it. He says, God's own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will where what he wants done is done. The person of God himself and the action of his will are the organizing principles of his kingdom. But everything that obeys those principles, whether by nature or by choice, is within his kingdom. This kingdom is among us and is accessible now. When God's will is being accomplished, the kingdom of God is right beside us. It is indeed the kingdom among us and within us. Christ invites us to take part of it now as partners with God in the divine conspiracy. I wish I had more time to think about the divine conspiracy because that just sounds cool. But this is what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God. Or as Matthew puts it in his gospel, the kingdom of heaven. Um, it's this living, breathing kingdom where God's will is accomplished. And we're all invited to participate in the goodness. But then last week, Wally talked about the fact that it doesn't always seem like God is ruling. 
and we think to ourselves, why do you keep saying the kingdom of heaven is here now and bad things are still happening? It's an honest question that I've asked myself. Things aren't fully as they should be and as they will be when the kingdom of heaven comes in its fullness, but it is here and it is coming and it is unstoppable. So as we make our way through the book of Matthew, we're ending with this section of stories or parables that Jesus told about the kingdom. Today, he is going to compare the movement of the kingdom to an invasive weed, a baking ingredient, treasure, and a fine pearl. So I think we're ready to dive in. So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 13, 31 through 35. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's little. It doesn't necessarily matter that it's not actually the smallest seed ever, but it is a very small seed, right? It looks something like this on a fingertip. And then here's what a mustard um, plant looks like. Pretty. Not super big, but pretty. The passage says, it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. Um, and the word largest is megas, which is an awesome word but it doesn't necessarily only refer to height. It can also refer to something large in quantity or abundance. So the mustard plant is considered an invasive plant in many areas because it germinates quickly and then it grows high above the grass and hogs all the sun and then it puts out thousands of seeds that all do the same. So it can easily take over and become a field. So even if the farmer in the parable only planted one small seed, it could easily become something much, much bigger that wouldn't be able to be stopped. And then Jesus mentions, though, that a bird or birds will come and perch on the branches of the plant. The internet is full of conflicting information about mustard plants. Is it a tree? Is it a weed? Is it big? Is it small? I don't know. <laughs> but... Uh, it's a little unclear, but remember, much of Jesus' audience was very familiar with the Old Testament. So if they heard a story about birds perching in a tree, um, the hearers would likely be reminded of an allegory in your favorite book, Ezekiel. So in Ezekiel 17, there is a story. Ezekiel 17, 1 and 2 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set forth an allegory and tell it to the Israelites as a parable. So we know we have another parable in Ezekiel or an allegory. So this means we're leaving the realm of the literal and we're entering the realm of the story. In the passage, the Lord goes on to tell a story 
about two great eagles and a vine. The first, a great and powerful eagle, takes the top of a cedar tree and he breaks it off and he flies it to a town of merchants and plants it there. And then that becomes a vine and the roots don't go particularly deep, but it's planted in good soil so the vine grows and it bears fruit and it thrives for a while, but then it begins to turn and stretches its roots and branches to this other great eagle and hopes that that eagle will water it. So just like much of Ezekiel, confusing. I hope I can say that in church. <laughs> so then the Lord chimes in after that part of the story of what he thinks of the vine. So this is what he says in Ezekiel 17, 9, and 10. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Will it thrive? Will it not be uprooted and stripped of its fruit so that it withers? All its new growth will wither. It will not take a strong arm or many people to pull it out by the roots. It has been planted but will it thrive? Will it not wither completely when the east wind strikes it? Wither away in the plot where it grew? Okay, so a lot of parables are told without explanation, leaving it up to the reader to interpret. You'll be as glad as I am to know that the Lord himself actually continues the passage with an interpretation of this, so we can figure out what is going on. So the first eagle in the story is referring to King Nebuchadnezzar, which I learned to spell this week. And he is the king of Babylon, okay? So he had King Jehoiachin. I remembered that in my Old Testament class because he took it on the chin is what my professor said. It works. But anyway, King Jehoiachin was um, reigning in Jerusalem only three months, 18 years old, and King Nebuchadnezzar had him carried away and all of his men to this town of merchants, or Babylon. So if you remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, any of those guys from stories, they're all part of this group that gets carried off to Babylon. Okay, then Nebuchadnezzar takes another descendant of David, Zedekiah. He's representing the vine in the story. And he establishes a covenant with him. He makes him king of Jerusalem. They have this treaty that's pretty binding. Okay, so then King Zedekiah betrays the treaty. He goes to Egypt to Pharaoh and tries to get help from him against King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so remember the vine. He's turning toward a different great eagle. That's Pharaoh trying to get help there. And as you've heard from God's um, thoughts on what happened to that vine, did not go well. King Zedekiah gets captured, blinded, dies in Babylon. Okay, so that's what happened in the story. So why am I telling you this? Because that's kind of weird, right? What does it even have to do with a mustard seed? Well, after giving the explanation of the allegory, the Lord continues in the passage. So Ezekiel 17, 22 through 24, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar plant. I will break off a tender sprig from the topmost shoot and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. Remember that? Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. 
all the trees of the forest will know that the Lord brings down the tall tree and makes the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. I love that line. So the kings in the allegory were powerful. They had all the wealth, the status, the influence, and none of it lasted. Now they're just a footnote in our Bible that we have to go back and figure out what, who's that guy? But God was up to something. The promise he had made of a Davidic king was not going to die out, even through all of the calamity the people had endured as a result of their own unfaithfulness. Because when we're unfaithful, God is still faithful. God says, I am the one who raises up trees and brings them down. I am the one who will take a branch from the top of the tree, this is referring to Jesus, and plant it at the top of the mountain. I will send the Messiah, and all of the nations of the world will find rest and hope in him. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. The kingdom is like a mustard seed, unstoppable, a kingdom that will last and thrive, unlike the kingdoms in the Ezekiel passage, dependent on God's faithfulness rather than our own. And the birds of every kind will find rest in its branches. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Did anyone take up bread baking during COVID quarantine? I know some of you did because I follow you on Instagram and they were beautiful and they looked wonderful. <laughs> I wish I could say I was inspired to bake. I was not. It, your post just made me hungry. But, you know, my family won't even mind telling you I am a terrible baker. It's true. He's okay with it, though. <laughs> but baking was so foreign to me, okay, that in fifth grade, I had to do a science fair experiment. And so my science experiment was to bake two loaves of bread, one with yeast and one without. And no, I did not become a baker, but I can tell you that the one I made without yeast was flat. And the one I put yeast in, it looked like a real loaf of bread. Do you remember this, Dad? He doesn't remember. <laughs> well, I do, because I actually made bread. It was the first and last time. <laughs> but it was, it was great because only this tiny amount of yeast worked its way through the dough, transformed what it was, and even a non-baker fifth grader could do it. So as I was writing this message up, I thought it was pretty funny that the yeast metaphor was the thing that was speaking to me the most. But isn't that kind of like the kingdom? I was and am not a baker, but all I did was add this ingredient and something happened. It was transformed beyond my ability. And there was really no stopping it. Once it was in, it was going. And Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to things like that, to things that start small and expand fast and transform their environment and become unstoppable. Okay, so that's nice. But is the kingdom really here now? I mean, if you're like me, this world can feel heavy. There's suffering everywhere in our communities, in our schools, in our local parades. And the church feels divided over political opinions and theological differences and even worship preferences. 
And we long to see the kingdom among us, but what do we do? We don't even know what to do sometimes. I mean, sometimes we try to force it into existence, right? And we, we get into that Facebook argument because if they, just, if they just could understand and listen to my argument, they would know and they would understand. Or we try to, try to gain and wield political power or engage in the culture wars. What does it even look like to plant a seed or to put some yeast into dough? What does that even really mean? Well, this past week, my family and I went on a vacation to visit Sean's brother and sister-in-law and niece in Philadelphia. And during the trip, we were able to take a kid-free two-day excursion to New York City. You won't be shocked to know that my favorite part was the Broadway musical that we saw. And it was a musical called Come From Away. Has anyone heard about this musical? Um, yes, have you seen it? Oh, I'm so excited for you. Okay, so this musical told the true story of on 9-11 when the American airspace was closed after the tragic attacks that happened, there were already a lot of planes flying over the Atlantic. So they all got diverted to this little island in Canada, Newfoundland. And there was a small town there with a population of 9,000 and 7,000 people showed up on airplanes at once. And I love true stories because I can't be like, nah, that wouldn't happen. It totally happened. So. No one knew how long these plain people were going to be around. They didn't know where they were from, how they were going to communicate, because it turned out there were 95 different languages spoken between all of these people from around the world. Um, they didn't know if they were safe. I mean, they just had a terrorist attack. Who knows if these people are, are safe on the planes? They didn't know anything. But this little Canadian town sprang into action. Their bus drivers had been on strike. So they all came back and spent the entire night driving people back and forth to, from the airport to makeshift shelters at schools and libraries. And they, um, they stayed up all night doing that. Medicine, toothpaste, diapers and formula, blankets and pillows and hygiene products and toys and books and all of this stuff just started showing up. They said they had to stop. Okay, stop bringing us toilet paper. We have enough. They had so much food donated that the Canadians canceled hockey. They made a big deal out of this in the show, hockey. <laughs> and they used the arena, ice arena, to become a refrigerator because so much food had been donated to help these 7,000 people that there was no space to refrigerate it. I think canceling hockey, we, I grew up next to Canada and that is a, a significant thing. <laughs> People invited strangers into their homes. They said, hey, you look tired. Come have a shower. Come sleep in a bed. And they just invited them over. <laughs> there was one, <laughs> one story about it. They were going to have a cookout. And they said, well, let's have a barbecue. And um, the Canadian mayor said to one guy, OK, you just pick up some grills. Uh, he goes, wait, what? I'm telling you to take them out of the yards and then bring them to this community center. He's like, I'm going to get shot. <laughs> they said, no, 
just take the grills. It'll be fine. He goes, he picks up the grill, the Canadian, oh, hi, you need some help, have some lemonade. He goes, they helped, they helped me steal their grills. And they brought them all there and they had this party. And if you don't know, I thought this musical was very delightful. <laughs> but after about five days that they were there, stuck, they said they left feeling like family. There was even a plane carrying a group of children um, taking a make-a-wish trip to Disney. And apparently they had all kinds of fun on hay rides and canoe trips and playing with other kids' toys that they didn't worry about Disney. It was raining there. They didn't care. <laughs> I mean, you'll also not be shocked to know I laughed and cried through the entire thing. But then I turned to Sean afterwards and I said, this is the kingdom. This is actually what it looks like now for the kingdom to be breaking in. Because in the midst of a terrible tragedy, there was love and beauty. And there were people coming together. They were welcoming strangers and sharing meals and even think, oh, I cried through the whole play, don't worry. But oh, <laughs> providing for physical needs of people. And like our friend Dallas Willard said, where God's will is being accomplished, the kingdom of God is right beside us. It is indeed the kingdom among us and within us. Don't you just want to get involved in that? I just want to like literally hop on a plane to Newfoundland and be like, teach me your ways. I want to be this hospitable. But it began to grow. What happened? One of the passengers who was stranded said now that he's back, he gives his employees the day off every September 11th and gives them each $100 to use for random acts of kindness for strangers as his way of remembering what had happened. Other passengers that were there and received all that kindness, they passed a hat for a scholarship fund that ended up being over a million dollars because the kingdom there was just evident and it grew and it spread and it multiplied. And it was cultivated. I would suggest that these planes landed on good soil in more ways than one. You might remember a couple weeks ago when Wally was talking about the parable of the sower, he challenged us to the work of cultivating good soil in our own hearts, of the tilling and the planting so that new creation can flourish in us and in the midst of this broken world. Well, in my newfound obsession with the musical, I started listening to interviews with the real people, real plain people they were called, and real Newfoundlanders who had been so hospitable. And it is clear, people were acting out of the spirit of God that was within them and that had been planted in them, and they were able to bear fruit like that. Because the kingdom of heaven is what happens when God takes a seed and fills a field with plants. When God takes a twig and makes a great cedar tree, and when God takes some yeast and makes life-sustaining bread. And it's breaking in everywhere that God's will is being accomplished. And that's why what we do matters. I would be remiss to say anything at all without quoting our good friend Tom. N.T. Wright, I don't think I've ever talked to you without quoting him, and I continue to plan on continuing it to be that way. <laughs> but he said this, 
What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether, as the hymn so mistakenly puts it. Yikes, he said that, not me. They are part of what we call building for God's kingdom. Isn't that the best? All of this matters. Everything that we do in the kingdom matters because God is making it into something. God is taking what we offer and he's making it into something good. God's kingdom takes a small something and makes it into a big something, something transformative and life-giving and lasting. And God invites us to give everything we have to participate and to live into this kingdom. Ways that we, as our friend Tom puts it, build for the kingdom matter because God is making them into something good now and something good for later. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you and always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Uh, gracious God, we bless you. Uh, for making yourself real, present, in our midst, within our hearts, revealing yourself as you do. And God, that you take the small, the little, the seemingly insignificant maybe in the moment, and it can grow and spread and move. And God, that you are faithful even when we are not. And it is your faithfulness that has this kingdom moving and growing, expanding, and becoming more and more. And we are invited to participate in that. We are invited to have eyes to see where you are at work and moving, ears to hear where you are speaking, hearts to understand that so that we will walk in your ways Walk out your ways that others may see, experience, taste, see that you are good, God. By the lives that we live, by the hospi hospitality that we offer, by the generosity that we live by, by the love that we pour out and give. God, that you are stirring in us and inviting us to just spill out, pour out, give, that people may see you. May you continue, as you do, God, to cultivate that goodness within us. May we pay attention 
May we do the work of gardening the soil of our heart, preparing it for what you have been and are doing. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. I would love before we step into singing that we would just hear uh, the parables again and that we would listen with hopefully fresh ears uh, and open hearts to what these uh, parables say. And we'll go even into the hidden treasure and the pearl as well. He told them another parable, Jesus, to those listening, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Because when we bump into and experience the kingdom of heaven, it's worth our everything. May we have hearts to hear and understand.